The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Some people acquire gifts from NDEs, and some are born with gifts of second sight. Our guest today, Janice Goff, is one of the, one of the latter uh, down-to-earth, intuitive, visionary. She lives uh, near Sedona uh, in a little town called Rimrock. Um, but without any of that woo-woo stuff Sedona is famous for. And yet she has amazing abilities, and uh, she's here to tell us about that today. Welcome to ND Radio, folks, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, welcoming Janice Golf to NDE Radio. Janice, are you there? Yes, good morning, Lee. Good morning. Uh, thank you for coming on such, such short notice. Uh, we had, uh, we lost, uh, the person that was going to be on today. I hope, well, hopefully we'll have her next week, but, uh, she was pretty sick, I guess, this morning. And Janice, who lives right next door to me uh, out here in, uh, Rimrock, Arizona, uh, is, uh, an amazing person. And I've been meaning to get her on the air for quite some time. So thank you for coming on, on board for today's show. Oh, you're welcome. This should be fun. Yep. Now, uh, Janice, uh, I know you were, you were born with, uh, some little ghostly friends that, uh, accompanied you, you said almost to the seventh and eighth grade. So that's unusual for, um, children to have their, their, uh, spirit friends for such a long time. I, I think it, I think it is. I found out in seventh and eighth grade that uh, you know, the other kids didn't, <laughs> didn't keep those that long. And yeah. so after that, I kind of let them go and tried to be like everybody else. I finally surrendered a, a little bit. Um, you know, most of the children that we know of anyway, they at least have some imaginary friends until they're, you know, seven, six, seven, years mm-hmm. old in that arena, but um, I didn't really have it. I was so different. I didn't have any best friends and spent a lot of time alone by myself anyway in the woods and whatever, so um, just kept mine way longer than everybody else did, but I didn't know any different. I thought everybody, <laughs> you know, <laughs> had their imaginary friends, so. <laughs> right. Now, were, were you, how did... Did you ever talk to your parents about that, or were you ever punished for uh, for talking to imaginary friends? Uh, I was punished for that young, younger, but um, as I got older, I just didn't ever tell anybody things. And um, I don't know, you know, as you get older, uh, the world takes on a different view anyway, and some of that I couldn't really tell the difference whether they were imaginary or not anymore because mm-hmm. they were, you know, fairly real. But everything had such a life to it. Um, all my friends in the woods, the, the raccoons and the trees and everything had such a life to it that uh, imaginary friends weren't definitely weren't imaginary. So, you know, but they were mine. That was my, my, my life. So, right. Now, when did you get back into having, 
getting back into having a relationship with uh, with the other side. I mean, was there a certain time in your life when things began to manifest themselves again? Um, um, began to manifest themselves again. Now, you know, it they things always manifested themselves. I just never be, truly, as I started growing up, never kind of believed in myself with that. Um, mm-hmm. So it wasn't until after I had gotten a camera that I, it was like it validated who I was and what I was seeing because I was able to take pictures of it. Right. So okay, now, now this would be a, a good time. Yeah, this would be a good time to tell the folks about uh, the dream you had in which you said you were commissioned. Um, yeah, I had never... Uh, I think I had a camera when I was real young. It seems like I had one of the brownies, you know, the little box cameras. But mm-hmm. but from that point to adulthood, I never had a camera. And I would buy a camera once in a while, a disposable camera to take on vacation or something. But I had a dream, and I'm thinking it was in it, oh, one, two, three, somewhere in there, um, where I was on stage and I was given something like a scroll. I opened it up and it said that you're commissioned to take photographs of the 3D and all of the third dimension and all the other dimensions. So I had to get up and look up the word commissioned (laughs) (laughs) and see exactly what that meant in real life because I knew what it meant in my mind, but I wasn't real sure what the dictionary meant. So... Then I got really excited, and I thought, wow, this might mean I can photograph the things that I see. Um, So I ran out and bought a camera, bought enough chips to take 10,000 pictures and uh, 12 batteries and and started taking photos immediately and immediately started uh, catching things on my photos that I was able to see myself. That was way exciting. So I think the important thing for that for me, though, was that it validated uh, what I was seeing because now I have it in print. Right. Now, one of the photos that uh, I saw should be on our website or will be this afternoon, perhaps. It's uh, it's the eye of the storm Katrina, which I guess you shot through a screen door? Um, I was actually... Um, made a trip from Arizona to Mississippi uh, to be with my mom at her house on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And um, we were standing on the porch, and her porch is quite large, all screened in. And I was taking pictures of the wind, of Katrina winds as it was coming in and bringing the waters in. Um, we, We live just a mile from the beach there, mom's house is. So we were real close. Um... Anyway, after I've clicked three or four or five pictures, I stood there and I'm scanning through them and there's this picture of this face and this eye. And um, later we found out after the military came through that they had actually looked for a man um, and had passed in front of our house. We actually talked to them. They were looking for a man that had kind of lost his mind and was shooting things and at people and stuff. 
um, they actually shot him and killed him. Uh, we found that out all later. And I, you know, I don't know. I, it kind of resonated with me that that was the man. Um, but that would have been a picture of the man while he was still living. And that's a conflict in, in a, an odd sort of way, but that sort of thing happens. Um, if we're all in the same moment in the past, present, and future, you know, not only are we able to see into that future, we can actually photograph that future. So what, what that, are some that of the... resonated with me that that was the man. What other um, things have you been able to photograph? Uh, gosh, all levels of things. Um, I have a picture of a fairy. Um, I have uh, pictures of, of ghosts. I have a picture of my dad um, who, who passed away in 04, and I believe it was in 06. My sister and I were photographing outside, and I have a picture of him. And he's actually uh, just part of his body, but he's standing there in blue jeans and a blue jean shirt and his belt he always wore and hands in his pocket like he always had. And um, those clothes are actually were in Mom's closet still at that time. Um, so real people, nature spirits, um, uh, creatures, <laughs> uh, changelings. I took a picture of a a cowboy in Sedona one time that had this incredible uh, features. Uh, you know, the cowboy had this massive, beautiful belt buckle with turquoise and silver um, facial feature that was just incredible. And when I looked and downloaded these pictures and I'm looking at this man, he, it wasn't this man at all. He had, he, he was a changeling. Um, so I did not get his original body picture. I got his changeling photo, um, which was actually very striking to me. Uh, um, I'm not, I'm not surprised very much anymore. That one shocked me. Mm. So, you know, I don't think the photos themselves are, uh, in their, in their own right are sensational. I think they're interesting, but, to be able to validate myself and my own experience of seeing through pho photography is very important to me. But as far as it being sensational, I don't believe it is because today we have ghost hunters. We have all these things on TV and other people taking photographs of things, you know, that were um, previously unseen you know, or uncaptured, should I say, by mm -hmm. photography. And now we've got it all. Um, so I think they're interesting, but I'm not sure that they're uh, sensational, you know, in their own right. One of the not other things... Yeah, what, one of the other things that uh, you had mentioned to me earlier was uh, uh, various stories about portals uh, into uh, other dimensions and that uh, you've, you've encountered both stories and... Uh, and some actual locations of where these exist. Maybe you could tell us yeah. about that. There's, um, you know, Arizona is a real interesting landscape uh, due to the composition of minerals and things in the earth. So we have a lot of different types of things that happen here. 
Um, it can be chalked up to magnetics. It can be, you know, all sorts of things. There are a lot of old stories of portals down in South Arizona, and those are easily searched on the web. Uh, a lot of cowboy stories where they've driven their uh, cattle, you know, on a cattle drive, and then the cattle go a certain way and they disappear. Um, we've got present-day stories of people that have found those portals or knew about them all the time and hadn't gone back there in several decades. And in our day, they go back and became very afraid, and they won't, they, you know, vow not to return again. Um, portals in the Sedona area are quite often mentioned and talked about, and there's several real, um, uh, I guess, well-known, well-known areas for portals you know, in the Sedona area. Um, shafts of light are quite often photographed here, hot pink shafts of light, purple shafts of light, uh, violet-blue shafts of light, and quite often those are are photographed in the vortex areas. I've photographed those in mining areas, um, like down south of the Verde Valley. And is that a portal? I don't know. Uh, is there energy being transferred from the earth to, you know, somewhere else? I, I think so. But I don't really know what they mean. But the Sedona, you know, people that are kind of like energetically in the know, they say that those are areas of portals. Well, um, what was the what was the one true, that you mentioned? You mentioned one that uh, on a ranch nearby that uh, where people have thrown stuff in just to get rid of it. Yeah, and that <laughs> that is so comical to me. Um, that would be the Bradshaw Ranch, and the Bradshaw Ranch is out around um, the ruins out there, Palatki and uh, Hanaki. It's in that area, and the Bradshaw Ranch is well known for being in the old Western movies where we had the 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 old movies, like in the 50s, early 50s, the cowboys coming down on their horses, coming down the Red Rock Pass and chasing the you know the Indians and the cows and the whole thing. Um, the Bradshaw Ranch portal is is well known here, and um, the mother Bradshaw, Mary Bradshaw, she <laughs> she very well knew of this portal and and would say, you know, hey, you, you, I throw anything in there, and you can throw it in there and get rid of it, um, you know. So she would throw garbage in or whatever. So <laughs> it's like, okay, well, so those are you know some comical things, but the portals are pretty well known around here, um, especially if you talk to the local people. Um, as as are all the other phenomena that make Sedona what it is, you know. Right now, you you encountered one. I think you and uh, and your husband were, as I recall the story, you were out and and you heard uh, perhaps Native Americans from the past coming through a porthole. <clears throat> well, Kenny and I. Um, hike into the canyons to hunt petroglyphs 
uh, because I photograph and document petroglyphs that are hard to get to. Um, we had descended about a 6,000-foot um, elevation, and it was getting dark. And we were trying to get out, up and out of that canyon area before it got pitch dark. <laughs> so coming up out of there, um, we finally made it to the top rim level, and Kenny was way faster than me, and I was way, way tired, so I'm lagging way behind, and he had the flashlight, <laughs> so I'm doing a lot of stumbling by moonlight, and I heard something behind me coming up the hill, and I thought, well, it's you know, it's animals or something turned around. There wasn't anything that I could see in the moonlight. I hurried to try to catch up with Kenny and told him to wait on me. Um, when he turned around with the flashlight to try to find what it was, we could hear all kind of voices, but we couldn't see anything. So we began to hurry and get back to our campsite. Um, while we were at the campsite packing the truck up, we could hear all the screaming and hollering, and it, it was just like a whole, a lot of people, like mm. 20 or 25 voices. It was a very large crowd. Um, that's not an unusual phenomenon here, though. You can go camp in the canyons, and in the mornings you can hear uh, Native women singing and children's voices playing, and they echo down the canyons through, you know, with the water. The water seems to carry these voices. Um, so it's not an unusual phenomenon. It's just one of those interesting things. And you make a decision in that moment to be afraid or not. So these aren't voices from the present. These are voices that are resonating from the past. Very clearly resonating from the past. And quite often you'll hear the music, um, the drum beats, the fluid, uh, the flutes, you know, things like that. Now, there have been times when you have gone off by yourself and lived in a cave out there for six, seven days. What, what, what is that experience like for you spiritually? Um, it's kind of interesting when you go out in by yourself like that before you leave home and work. You've got all these things you think you're going to be thinking about. You, now I've got time to spend to think about these things or to do something um, uh, intellectually with your time, be it uh, meditation, mantras, um, putting stories together, whatever it is. But once you get out there, <laughs> there is nothing to think about. Peace pervades you, and you become a part of everything that's there, there is nothing to think about. It, it, is, it is an unworldly experience to do that. And then, because you're so far out and you're so alone, um, you seem to try to, um, and I'm not by myself with this because I've talked to other people that have done this also, you try to find things to occupy your mind because you get you can sit there for hours 
uh, and just be a part of everything, but there's nothing to do either. You know, if you're not preparing food or if you haven't already gathered enough wood for your fire, what else are you going to do? So, you know, you, you really do become observant and sensitive at a whole different level. Um, it's actually, it's a very wonderful experience. The last time I was out there, uh, during the nighttime, the mountain lions were fighting on a level below me. So that echo down the canyon, I occupied myself by listening to the echo and sensing that at a totally different level than what I would have normally sensed that. So I'm, I guess what I'm saying with that is that um, we need to set, set aside time so that we can uh, heighten our senses and take ourselves to a level that we're capable of that we don't normally get to experience. Now, you have also uh, spent some time with Native Americans and done sweat lodge ceremonies and the like. Uh, how, how has that affected you? Um, in itself, as, as its own discipline, uh, in the time that I was participating, um, it, it was an organization type of thing for my life. It organized the thought process. It organized, um, dailiness. It organized rituals, ceremonies in my daily life and all those things. But if I put that discipline together with all the other disciplines I've experienced, uh, for instance, being raised Southern Baptist, and now you add that to um, what I experienced in South Dakota with the Sioux, and then I come here, and I add that to the experiences I've had with uh, my Tibetan friends and the Hopi people and... Um, People from Mexicali and uh, all, all of the different ceremonies we've participated in. And what, it, what it's done for me is let me recognize that there isn't any one discipline, whether it be organized religion, um, Native Americanism, any of those. There isn't any one discipline that's a big enough vessel to hold all our experiences. So it's definitely broadened my world. It's allowed me to be more of who I'm capable of being. You mentioned the uh, Sioux, and that reminded me of the story you told me earlier about driving in the back of the truck. Maybe you could tell us that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always find that so funny. Um, that was in the 80s. So I had some Sioux friends, and I had went to uh, Pine Ridge Reservation, and I'm in the back of a truck with, uh, let's see, there was three, two other adults. So there was three of us adults and, I don't know, maybe three or four kids in the back of the truck. There were two people, two adults up front, one driving and one riding. Um, and us adults were standing up in the back of the truck looking over the cab as we're going down a dirt road. And it's um, no trees, just a sea of prairie out there 
dirt flying in our faces, you know. But way up ahead, I saw a tree, and it was so odd, and I said, oh, wow, a tree. (laughs) (laughs) And as we got closer, I said, oh, my gosh, there's two people sitting underneath that tree. And we continued to get closer, and I turned to the gentleman next to me, and I said, are we going to stop and give them a ride in? I mean, because there's nothing out here, and Mm. there's no place. I I don't even know how they got there. Um, And he started laughing and said, oh, no. And I thought, how rude. You know, these there's two men here sitting under a tree. I mean, we're, you know, 12, 15 miles from anything or anybody else, and they're not going to stop and ask them if they want to ride. Clearly, they, too, were Sioux people, and I just I just couldn't get over how rude that was. Well, as we got closer and passed them, I continued to look at the men sitting under the tree until I had turned all the way around in the back of the truck, and by that time, those two men had turned into deer, and the man standing next, next to me said, See, I told you, they'll get back before we will. Um, that probably is the only experience I've literally had with actually seeing shapeshifter happen. Mm. I can't even tell you I actually even believed in that. Um, I didn't have a belief system big enough to handle that thought process. So once you see something like that, then you realize that... um, that fit in a particular discipline, but it sure wouldn't have fit in my other ones, you know. <laughs> so you have to you have to expand your mind to handle some of the things that we experience here on this earth, or we limit what we're capable of. We cannot the- our our judgments keep us from becoming who we can become and live in the life that we can live. One last vision that I want to ask you about in the most- in the couple, in the two minutes we have left, is about the bodaks that you've seen, uh, both here and uh, and also the fellow that you were going to go see, and and you saw these bodaks. Well, tell tell the folks what they are first of all. Well, I don't really call them bodaks. I don't really know what bodaks are, um, except that they're not in a third dimension body. And somehow they, and for some reason, they accompany death. Um, I have no judgment on that, whether it's for good or bad. I've seen them many times and have validation many times that a person has died. So I've seen them come through the property. There's never just one. There's always two, three, or four. I've never seen more than four. Um... So I see them coming through the property. I look at Kenny and I said, oh, they're going to that house over there or one of those two houses. Somebody's sick or they're fixing, you know, they're going to die soon. And so then later that afternoon, we hear the ambulances going down the road. And Kenny comes and gets me and says, there goes the ambulances to that house. Well, I'm not surprised. You know, it's just a validation. Um, one morning, real early, we were going to um, one of our customers' houses and turned a corner, and there at, at a, 
an older man's house that we know. I saw Bodax on his porch, and I said, oh, my goodness, Audrey's dead. And we went on down to our customer's house. We got home. I dressed and went to work. I had to work in the village, and um, Kenny called me at work later and said they found Audrey dead. So, you know, I'm not quite sure what the Bodaks do, except they, I do know for sure that they accompany somehow. It's not quite like that movie Ghost where you see, you know, the, the evil ones come and taking someone away. But they are dressed in a type of robe, and they do look like they're uh, dark or black. It's just I don't have any judgment on what they're doing. And they've never said anything to me, so I don't know. <laughs> well, hopefully they won't they won't be sa- visiting you anytime soon. <laughs> Janice, it, it looks like we're just about out of time for today. Um, okay. I want to thank our guest, uh, Janice Goff, for describing uh, her amazing visions and her amazing ability to photograph them. If you'd like to listen again to this or any other of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, check out their website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. Thanks for listening.